We're coming in hot with inspiring guests, witty banter, and colorful commentary for today's veterans and military community. This is the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. They call me crazy because I'm facing all my giants. They try to scare me into thinking I can't fight it. They tell me I should never even think of trying. But that's just me. I'm going to live out in defiance. Welcome back once again to the Tango Alpha Lima experience. I'm Jeff Daly of the Michigan Dailies. You've heard of us. And here with me always is my good friend, Ashley Marie Gorbolja Maldonado, who is married to my great friend, Robert Maldonado. Great friend? When did you and Robert become great friends? On the tick snap face thing. One of those. You're really showing your age, and I have to tell you, he's never mentioned you. Ever. Well... You know, sometimes like things that happen in, in the man cave, stay in the man cave. Wait, that's Cedian, mm, Robert. It's the <laughs> secrets kept held close, I suppose. Well, there you go. I'll be sure to ask him over dinner tonight. All right, please do that. Um, yes. And you can, what you can also talk about is a strange thing I've noticed in our content upcoming this month. Um, there's a lot of, and not that I'm upset about it, but there's a lot of feminine influence in these stories. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't understand. I know, Jeff. You you're quite the observant. That's for sure. Yeah. So what's important to know is that March is Military Women's History Month. It's an incredibly important month where we take a look at women from all across industries, professional, just every possible thing that we've done, just in general for for women, for all things, right? <laughs> Um, I know I was trying to work a way to get in there, but, um, but more importantly, this month is about just sharing the stories of remarkable women who have either been the trailblazers, they've, you know, the first of the first, the inventors, the scientists, the, you know, the medical folks, there's just so many women who may not have ever been given credit or kind of been written out of history. And we need to let people know what we're doing in the present and where we've come from uh, from a, a past perspective. So I, that's sorry. why, no, and I'm just, and that's why we're going to, we're going to talk about some of these things and we're going to, we're going to have conversations. So let's, let's do it. Well, that's cool. Cause our guest, our guest coming up in a little bit has done some big things. I, uh, and I'm interested, uh, to hear what she has to say on that. But before we get to that, I think one of the things, uh, when we do these, uh, when we have these months is we do like to celebrate, the wins, but we also have to talk about the challenges and yes. uh, the 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 perils that make themselves known on the journey, if you will. So our first story is uh, an unfortunate story, and Ashley, uh, please. All right. So we're going to lead off with this story. We think it's incredibly important that we talk about you know, sexual assault in the military. So there's a military.com article discussing service academies reporting the highest number of sexual assaults ever. Now, mind you, Department of Defense, or yeah, Defense Department has been, you know, tracking this problem since 2006, but students of the U.S. Service Academies filed 131 reports of sexual assault during 2020 and 2021 academic year. Now, the report represents about 7.4% increase from 2018 to 2019 academic year. So with this, the last time students spent a full year in class before the pandemic, so for a reference point. 
This marks a 43% increase from 2019 to 2020 when students were sent home to March to protect them from contracting you know, COVID-19, right? So as the increases are troubling, there's still only a representative of a fraction of sexual assaults in academies. So according to data released by the DOD Sexual Assault Prevention and Response Office, uh, students have listed that 747 sexual assault cases happened in the U.S. Air Force, U.S. military and U.S. Naval academies in the survey conducted um, over the covering of, you know, the years that we're discussing. So 2017-18, which is the, the point of reference to now. So yet just 92 were formally reported. I think, well, let's, let's just talk about big picture here. Like we've been having a lot of conversations about this expansive gap of services, of support, of, of really listening to um, individuals that have become victims of sexual assault, right? Like, I think there's been enough conversation, but there isn't, of course, I mean, obviously like, we still need to move and continue to move in a direction where this is not normal. Like, I don't want this to be normal anymore. Like, I'm, I'm tired of hearing it. as someone who was sexually assaulted, like this just makes me sad. I just, I don't know how we get it through people's minds that like non-consensual sex is not how we do this. Like, don't make advances that you've been told not to do, right? So when we look at this, this gap of the academies, right? It's, it's not long, it's not a long way off from the public goal of encouraging all victims to report sexual assault and to reduce how often the crime occurs. Um, and but, go on. You, I was just going to say the, the, there's so many levels of disappointment and opportunities for rage that I'm seeing here. Um, first of all, just the acts of violence that are quantified in numbers deserving of a headline. Do you realize when you have a headline, something is significant? So this is significantly troubling. And in the multiplier to that is in the military is that these are the best and brightest, supposedly. Uh, clearly, some are sneaking through, uh, and I, I and it, and I'm not blaming, I'm not wholesale blaming the academies because in the longer story that we don't have time to read here, they are putting things in place to, and they have some things in place trying to address this, but uh, it's hard to fight bad character. Yeah, just absolutely. like it's it's hard to prevent uh, people robbing you. You can make all kinds of laws. You can have uh, law enforcement people patrolling. Somebody with low character is still going to get in that lock in that door. So mm -hmm. you can have the things on campus to try to to prevent these things, but the reality is is that the character of the people coming in needs to be looked at. Mm -hmm. uh, and I and I know uh, the people. It's where the people I know of, uh, and they're not just they're men and women that have been to academies. The ones that I know have strong character, um, uh, and and it's and it's. I find it, and it, that's another layer. It's insulting mm -hmm. to those who are the best and brightest that they have to read this crap. They have to look at this, and it sullies it sullies the value of their experience. So it's, it's, uh, it is, it's, like it's, I said, it's mul multipliers of troubling. 
It, it really is. I mean, if, if you think about it, like if in, in this article specifically, it cites 11 of the cases resulted in court martial charges, while others found that evidence could only prove a non-sexual assault offense. The victim dropped the case or there was insufficient evidence to prosecute. Now, can you imagine if you came forward, whether it was restricted, unrestricted, and you are trying to be heard, and then you were told that there's insufficient evidence, you still have to, you know, sometimes they'll give you the option, oh, you can go, you can transfer, you can do whatever, at least, you know, in your active duty, like, you know, the academies, I feel like it's a bit elusive, like, how do you, yeah, you, you, can't like, transfer. Travel, you, to, you can't like transfer. So what happens? And you get to, you get to serve next to someone with low character who got away with something like that's, that is the worst possible torture for somebody. And I know that personally, because I had to do that for five years because nobody listened. So this hits home for me. And I know that we're starting off a little bit more on, on the down, but like, this is an important issue. We have to keep talking about it. And, you know, we need to keep building some structure to make sure that folks can be taken care of. And that also we get to do to develop and analyze the character of the men and women that we're putting in the most prestigious academies, because where does it start? You know, is it, you know, that do we need more high school education about like, what is, what is consent? Like, can maybe more sex education? Like, can, can we talk about maybe having some of those implementing things? Like how do, how do we get in the minds of, of young folks and say like that's not okay like this is not okay right so i mean we have to do yeah. we do we literally i mean we have to do something it's um a thing was making noise there we do have to do something and i do think that it, it it's part of what's funneling into the system you mm -hmm. you, you kind of have to, and i don't know how to measure character i don't know how to expose it but i mean somebody does they 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 do these things uh, to give people clearances. They they investigate everything about them. And maybe it's, I don't know if you have to have a clearance to get into the academies, but maybe you need to. And if they have a low level one, maybe they need a higher level one uh, mm -hmm. because we do have to root something out. Uh, that is, uh, like you said, this is kind of a, not a celebratory story, but we are going to, we are going to have plenty of that this month. And, uh, and perhaps uh, the humanizing effect will uh, create a scenario where someone who probably, I, I mean, I have to think that people who make these offenses think of their victims as less than. Mm -hmm. And when you hear these stories of people who are significantly more than, uh, that hopefully that humanizing effect will have a positive effect. And with that, I, th I think we are going to hear one of those today because uh, we're going to be joined by Aaron Miller. Aaron Miller is the author of Final Flight, Final Fight in the children's book, or as I call it, the Marine Corps level book, What Grandma Did. Aaron Miller is the proud granddaughter of Elaine Danforth Harmon, a member of the uh, women Air Force Service Pilots, or WASPs, as they were known during World War II. Her grandmother's last request was to be laid to rest at Arlington National Cemetery. After she died in April 2015, Elaine Harmon's request was denied by the U.S. Army officials who run Arlington. 
Aaron led a grassroots social media and direct lobbying campaign to fight the decision and have a law passed to recognize the service of the WASP for interment eligibility at Arlington National Cemetery. We're going to be right back with an amazing story of Aaron Miller right after the break. Hearing loss and tinnitus are the top service-connected disabilities, and we know that hearing issues can result in social isolation and loneliness. These issues, in turn, can lead to a host of other potential health conditions, especially for veterans. That's why staying connected with family and friends is so critical to our health. The Heroes with Hearing Loss program supports veterans facing the challenges of hearing loss and provides solutions to keep us connected. One of those solutions is the captioned telephone, which allows veterans to listen and read what is said over the phone, making it easier than ever to connect with those who matter most in our lives. Thanks to Hamilton CapTel, the sponsor of the Heroes with Hearing Loss program, captioned telephones are available at no cost for veterans. Learn more at heroeswithhearingloss.org. Aaron Miller, welcome to the Tango Alpha Lima podcast. We just were talking all the good things about you, and now it's amazing to see you here on the screen with us. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you for having me on your show. And you're very, you're very nice. I'm not so used to proper. That. So proper. I know. Me- meaner to you? I don't. Know. No, don't, don't do that. Only to Jeff. Only to Jeff. Aaron. Okay. <laughs> only that's the only used- acceptable response. I'm used to that. And you two know each other, correct? Aaron and I have had the pleasure of meeting. We have. Yes. We've encountered each other at, at several events, I think. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, then, I mean, it, then it goes without saying that, Ashley, you should start the questioning. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So I'm trying to think, Aaron, the first time I got to meet you, was it at the Women's Memorial or was it at the Center for Women Veterans 25th anniversary? Gonna, um, I don't remember. I definitely know that we met at those places, but I don't know which one was first. Hmm. Well, with that being said, <laughs> so, so Aaron, I've had the pleasure of following you, seeing all the amazing work that you've done. I know you've got a new children's book. You're the author of Final Flight, Final Fight in honor of your grandmother. Tell us about this journey, about your, 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 you know, you're the proud granddaughter of Elaine Harmon. And I want to, I want to know more. I want to know more about your grandmother, all the things she's done and what inspired you to take these steps that you are now. So the book I wrote talks has kind of three parts, which is my relationship with my grandmother and growing up around her. Cause she lived to be 95 years old and she lived down the street from me. So I, I spent a lot of time with her. And then the part of where I talk about her story being in the women Air Force Service pilots in World War II and what the women Air Force Service pilots did and what, you know, their function, like their place in the context of World War II. And then I talk about going to Congress to get a law passed to honor her and the other women she served with, with the eligibility to be laid to rest at Arlington National Cemetery. So I kind of weave those three things together. So growing up around my grandmother, you know, it was kind of cool because she was a grandma who was a pilot in World War II, and there were not very many of those people. And when I was very small, I thought everyone's grandma was a pilot in World War II. I thought that's what grandmas did. That was like a grandma job. And then <laughs> when I got older, obviously, I learned like, no, that was not what most grandmas did. Um, <laughs> so there were 13 wasps from 
Maryland. So obviously not very many of these people. And ultimately there were 1,102 women who served as women Air Force service pilots during World War II who finished the training and went on to get their wings and everything. And my grandmother was one of those. She uh, served during 1944. She was in the second to last training class that they had. The program was canceled in December of 1944 after Congress failed to pass a bill to officially uh, either commission them as officers or enroll them in the army somehow, whatever way they were gonna do that. Uh, Cause you know, they're pilots. So typically they would have been officers as you guys know. Sometimes I've explained a lot more military stuff but you guys know all this stuff. So um, anyway, so they all went home after December of 1944 and went along with their lives. And my grandmother was already married before she went in the program. So she came, uh, eventually came back to Maryland with her husband who had been overseas uh, in a civilian capacity. He couldn't be in the war because he was 4F and uh, they had four kids and then he passed away eventually. So she became a single mom with four kids. And then eventually I came around. So I grew up around her. And in the 1970s, they went to Congress to get a law passed to get them recognized as veterans since the bill didn't pass in 1944, and they had done work that was definitely army work. And 38 of them died during service in various ways, accidents, trading, um, you know, whatever. And so after the 1970s, it, when they went to Congress, they, my grandmother and several of the women decided, okay, well, we have to keep going out and talking about this. And she did things like I'm doing now, like eventually, right? Obviously we're on podcasts in 1977, but she would go to air shows and go to museums and schools and give talks and wear her uniform. She met five presidents. Uh, she went to the White House uh, multiple times. She, you know, she lived in the DC area. So she was often invited to be kind of like the representative of the WASP when there was like a World War II event or something. So she often got invited to some of these things and I went to a few of them with her and it was pretty cool, you know. So I thought, you know, growing up that she was a veteran and I just kind of saw her the same way as I saw my father, for example, who was a helicopter pilot with the Marine Corps in Vietnam. And so I did not know that there was a difference between them growing up until she passed away in 2015 and my mom applied to have my grandmother laid to rest at Arlington Cemetery. And the cemetery said that she was not eligible to be there on her own because like I said, my grandfather was a civilian. So he's buried in a different cemetery. Mm -hmm. And they said that the law from 1977 only granted her benefits under the Department of Veterans Affairs, which as you all probably know, does not run Arlington National Cemetery. The Department of the Army runs Arlington. So basically they said she's a veteran in one part of the government, but not the rest of the government. So that is when um, I decided we needed to get some attention to this problem. And I started talking about it on my Facebook and then eventually got attention of news people and went forward to try to get this law passed so that my grandmother could be laid to rest where she wanted to be. Wow. So it's kind wow. of a, <laughs> I don't know if you wanted all that information all at once. But <laughs> That's impressive. I, I can't imagine like, you know, you know, being a young gal, and just as you said, like, you would think all grandmas do that, right? You just have this affinity for the capacity and the work ethic and all the amazing things that women can do. And you're like learning as you grow older that like, you know, 
in the, what, I think it was like late sixties, early seventies, women at some certain point still couldn't apply for credit cards on their own credit. Right. Like right, you yeah. think about these, you think about these timelines of her going around and traveling and then you being able to, to go with her to some of these events and just see grandma in action. Like I love my grandmother and like, I call her luscious Linda and I adore <laughs> this woman. And she is like my strength and to hear just, it's just so meaningful. I cannot, mm. and she, she was a, she was a wasp, correct? Yes. Yeah, so she was yes, one okay. of the women air force service pilots, which is, this is her scarf. She used to wear at her events. And, uh, they, like I said, they were the first women to fly military planes through the United States armed forces during world war II. Um, obviously, as you all well know, there were air power was very important for the war. So we needed a lot of pilots and, um, you know, people affiliated with not just the pilots, but obviously air crew and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So they decided they, they may not have enough pilots to fill all these slots. So in the 1930s, the government foreseeing that perhaps the United States would become involved in World War II created a program called the Civilian Pilot Training Program, which became affiliated with a lot of universities across the country, including Tuskegee University, which is how some of the Tuskegee Airmen first learned how to fly. So my grandmother was going to school at the University of Maryland, and that is where she became uh, a licensed pilot, was through this program at school, her last year of college, at the College Park Airport. So she already had a license, so in order to join the WASP, you had to already be a licensed pilot. So she applied for the program. There were more than 25,000 applicants, and the purpose was to free up male pilots to send them overseas for combat missions and then have the women come in and do the more routine flying domestically, like moving planes from factories. Like the Rosie the Riveters would build the planes, right? They'd come out of the factory and the wasp would get in the plane and fly them to, you know, whatever departure point they, that the military needed them to take the planes overseas. Or they would do test test flights of new planes or they would put hours on engines that you know you know how when you get a new car and you have to drive it like a certain amount so they would do that type of thing but with an airplane they towed targets so um men in training would uh shoot shoot at these targets that the women would would fly across the sky that's absolutely terrifying that's terrifying yeah these terrifying kind of look like the banners at the beach when they're like selling beer right like it was mm-hmm. kind of like that this long banner and the guys would shoot at it it's like 17 18 year old guys are like shooting at these planes that like my grandma's friends are flying around right uh so they did all kinds of these tasks all within the domestic sphere and um they flew more than 60 million miles uh during their time collectively and they learned how to fly every plane that was built and operating during world war ii from little trainers all the way to the B-29 bomber. That's so impressive. I just have a hard time even with my own audio equipment. So there's (laughs) just, you know, I can't believe, I can't believe they're letting rookies uh, shoot targets that were being pulled by live human beings. I I know. You you can see with Ashley, what happens when you're a rookie at something like snowboarding, uh, (laughs) you end up with broken wrists. I can't imagine a rookie shooting at me in the sky. So the, the one of your books, it's called What Grandma Did, which made it sound like it was going to be a crime novel. I, I, didn't, <laughs> I know, like I, right? <laughs> what did she do? What did she do? So is are both books are both books about her journey? Yes. So the first one I wrote, which conveniently I have here, is called Final Flight, Final Fight. 
and it's more like a narrative you know like a novel for adults right but i've had younger people read it too and they love it too so even middle school kids have read it i wrote it for, for like a general audience but it explains like i said before it's the whole journey with my grandma and me and congress and then i recently published a new book called what grandma did which is a children's book version of the story and so it has these beautiful illustrations right mm -hmm. And it's, it's the same story. It's just kind of about like what the women did in the war and talking about, you know, what it means to serve your country type of thing and what they did and how their story was a little bit unknown. And they were trying to, people were kind of trying to keep what they did a little bit of a secret and not really talk about it. And then they realized like, we have to talk about it. We have to tell people our story. Well, so you, uh, the story is it's fascinating for a couple of reasons. I love the I love the image that you gave of Rosie hand Rosie the Riveter handing it off to uh, a wasp and I just I just that's there that's, are literally I mean that's what would happen right I don't know how much you guys know about like the aircraft building process during World War II but the planes would come down these these right and their people would just be on the like at the Ford factory right they're just on the assembly line putting stuff you know as it goes along and then when it gets to the end, the plane would just pop out and someone would literally get in and fly it away. Like that's what would happen. So it's literally that would happen. It's kind of crazy. It's the scariest <laughs> test drive of all time. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, Pretty much. So let's let's uh so we, let's let's kind of dig back in because I'm I'm fascinated by bureaucracy, which isn't a thing people <laughs> normally say. Um, I think that you've probably, you probably could start a red tape museum with what you went through. Um, did, how did you get through that? How did you know what to do? Did anybody help? Like, like, did you have to have lawyers? What was going on to get all this done? So I am a lawyer conveniently, oh, okay. but um, that was not so, you know, I have some background in that. And after, after this happened, I actually was talking to my friends from law school and I was like, you know, we never really learn in law school about like how you write laws. We just learn about court cases and, and what you do in court, you know? I was like, we should learn more about actually writing the actual legislation, right? Anyway, so I, I have like a general idea. I grew up in the DC area, right, in Maryland. And so this has kind of always been in my, you know, background on the news and stuff growing up. And my, one of my sisters was, um, worked in advocacy for, um, I said she's a veterinarian. She worked for a veterinary organization for a few years on Capitol Hill, and that was part of her job. So between us, like we had a general idea of what was supposed to happen, but that doesn't mean you can actually make it happen. Because as you guys know, you know, you need somebody in Congress to write a bill. You need people to be interested and supported and you know, just because someone writes a bill doesn't mean that it's actually going to move anywhere. So there's like a lot of pieces that need to come together. So I kind of looked at it like, okay, I need the press to be interested in this. That way there's some, you know, like attention to it. And I need the public to be interested in it, right? So that it shows like people care about this thing that's important. And then the other third leg of the stool is people in Congress. Like you need them to grab onto this idea and, and write a bill and support it and push it ahead, right? So we were very fortunate after getting some local news interest that the Associated Press picked it up and big news places started picking it up. And I started doing tons and tons of news interviews, which was good because then that gets attention to it, right? People start writing to their Congress people like, we need to get this done. 
And through that process, uh, Representative Martha McSally, who was uh, in, in the House of Representatives at the time and was conveniently there because she was actually the first woman to fly a combat mission for the United States Air Force after they lifted the restriction on women flying in combat in 1993, which was roughly 50 years after my grandmother was flying planes. So like that's how long it took from women to fly planes in the military to be allowed to fly them in combat. So anyway, she happened to be a member of Congress and she uh, introduced this bill uh, for my grandmother for the women Air Force service pilots and then was very, very vocal about it, which you need another thing like you, you need a member who's not just going to represent like write a bill, but you need one who's passionate about it, it's going to like move it ahead, you know, so we were very lucky that she was there to push that forward and then I spent a few months on Capitol Hill visiting personally myself. I visited more than 150 offices on Capitol Hill between the House of Representatives and the Senate meeting with senators and members of the House and their staff and just talking about the bill and explaining the situation. And fortunately, it moved pretty quickly, you know, due to, I think, all of these different things working together, you know, moved pretty quickly and, and was eventually signed into law by the president in May 2016. So about five, five months after it was introduced. That's, That's pretty awesome. So it, it, it's, you actually changed uh, like bureaucratic policy <laughs> and- yes and got this done, which uh, is, a, is, is a huge feat in and of itself. I mean, you weren't being shot at by uh, <laughs> teenage pilots, but <laughs> you, you, did, you did the work to honor that. And I think that's, I think that's awesome. But yeah, it's definitely dealing with bureaucracy. And I, I learned a lot doing that, but you know, I did have a little bit of a, a background you know, I had the right people in my network that could tell me what to do, but you still had to go get it done, which, as you may or may not know, only one to 2% of the bills introduced in Congress get passed. Hmm. So, you know, they introduce like more than 10,000 bills, and you know, a, a small number of them actually go through. So it's, you have to get like a lot together to, to get make sure it gets done and it all, you know, plus some luck, you know. <laughs> <All right. laughs> All right, Ash, you got any, uh, you got any uh, follow-up to that? No, I was just going to say, Aaron, I think you need to make like a, like a how-to plan, how to get your bill through, like, um, oh gosh, what was it? Uh, school, you need to do like a schoolhouse rock yeah. version of the 21st century on how to get a bill through. Yeah. And then I want you to go train everyone how to do it. <laughs> because, you know, here at the American Legion, you know, we have our legislative agenda for the new congressional, you know, year. We've, we've got all this stuff going we're here along with our other VSO and MSO partners, like still continuing the fight, like any tips and tricks, like you've kind of laid it out a little bit fine line, but um, any advice to folks who are in their communities or they're, they're seeing that change, like what words of wisdom could you bestow upon them to, to be the change they want to be? So I actually do um, talk to schools sometimes about this. And part of when I talk to schools, I explain like civics, right? Using this story, because when you're in school and you're learning about the constitution and all of this, it can be very abstract, right? So this is a good example because the bill is only like a page long. So it's very easy to say like, this is where it goes and this is what it would do. And so I, I first tell people like out in the community, you have to figure out who's in charge of your problem, right? It's not like every problem is going to be like, you need to go to Congress, right? You need to figure out, is this like, 
jurisdiction is this like you need a new stop sign you're not going to go to congress usually right like you need to go to your local city council you know your your state government you have to figure out who's in charge and then on top of that you have to figure out within that group who is the person that might care the most about your problem like is there a state representative from your your neighborhood or that you know knows your issue and this is something i learned too doing this like I'm from Maryland and Martha McSally was representing Arizona, but these are federal issues, which means theoretically they're affecting everyone in our nation, right? So you shouldn't be limited to just your one person from your district, right? You can reach out to like, there's people in Congress who have experienced all different sorts of things in their lives. And so obviously there's members of Congress who are passionate about different issues, right? So you wanna kind of see who those people are and who might help you. but. I also say, I mean, for you guys particularly and, and all big organizations, obviously you're trying to do a lot more than like pass this one thing so I can bury my grandma, which didn't cost very much money. And pretty much everyone thought like, yeah, we should do this. Like it was pretty agreeable, even though that still doesn't make it like, you know, a, a given that it's gonna get done, but you know, uh, things, the massive bills that like these big infrastructure bills that cost like a trillion dollars. Obviously, that's like a lot more work than what I was doing. <laughs> that's gonna be more than one page. It's interesting yeah. that you brought up Schoolhouse Rock and updating it. the The weird thing is, I don't think the process has uh, changed at all since what long before Schoolhouse Rock. So I think uh, you just put a backbeat on it and call it new, and it's it's the same the same content well it's a little uh, bit now you can use social media right i tell kids like you mm. can you can figure out what organizations are out in the world that that are interested in your problem that would might support you you know that they can tell their own members because that's what happened to me too is we had all these organizations dealing with the military with aviation uh that would tell their members like there's this bill going through congress can you guys call your your members of congress and tell them you support it or whatever you know so you get different groups supporting you within their membership so it's just a big you know network i think uh i think ashley was kind of on to something saying uh that more people need to learn about i i think uh through the process of writing I'm getting quite prolific and I'm going to annoy uh, Mr. CV soon, but I'm getting quite prolific at writing resolutions for the American Legion. And if, I think the thought process of writing a resolution is very similar to writing a bill. And when I, especially when I hear uh, Legionnaires and I guess citizens in general complaining about something, I always ask them, well, what are you doing about it? I mean, besides pontificating on Facebook about how brilliant and wrong do you are uh so I, I think that i think that you going out and and teaching these lessons to kids is yet another example of you doing heroes work because it's uh it's vital it's vital to our democracy that people realize that um just because they're not elected doesn't mean that they don't have a capacity to facilitate change so it's it's out, outstanding work um Ashley, any final thoughts we have we gotta let this woman go she does too much she doesn't have time she doesn't have time to be on the podcast all day i have plenty of time and i'm very grateful <laughs> that you have me on it as a guest <laughs> well Aaron, i just want to say thank you i know your grandmother is looking down and she is so so proud of you and you well, have done you. wonders for an entire community and you've given recognition and awareness to a group of extraordinary women 
extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary women who have served their country and, you know, answered the, answered the call. And, and that is so incredibly important. And you are continuing that call to action by inspiring young children, by inspiring adults and folks of all ages, if you shall, to, to be the best versions of themselves. So I just want to say thank you for everything that you're doing and will do. Oh, I actually just remembered, and I mentioned in my book, I think that we were invited after my grandma died to a local American Legion post, and they honored her with some sort of proclamation of honorary something or other, but I have it somewhere. I remember exactly what it says, but it was very cool. Oh, and I've wanted to point out that your grandma is not just looking down on you. She's looking at, across across at you. If, yeah. if, you're, if you're not watching the feed, you're missing that... Uh, it's not just awesome activity that gets passed on by the generation, but also the aesthetic qualities that are passed <laughs> on by the generation. So uh, you do, you got, you definitely are related. You're definitely related. And, uh, and it was, it's good to see her there. And I, maybe we'll probably get a screenshot to put in the, put in the story, but that's pretty cool. Uh, so I want to thank you again for coming on behalf of Ashley and super producer Holly, who the people can't see. Uh, thank you so much for sharing this story with us and with the world. And uh, thank you for writing a wrong and teaching others how to do it moving forward. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be a guest. So you were discharged with a 20% disability rating, but now you can't hear so well and need help contact an American Legion service officer. Service officers are free of charge and they help all veterans. Find one near you with our online tool at legion.org forward slash service officers. All right, we are back from the break and I needed to take a break because of all of the good stuff that we just heard from Aaron Miller. Ashley, what'd you think? Gosh, Aaron's grandmother or great grandmother is just so fascinating. I am just shocked and awe the amount of things that she was able to do and be just such a socialite and bring attention while she was alive. And then her daughter to, to, to or her, her granddaughter, excuse me, to really just kind of pass that baton of, of activism and advocacy. And I really, that, that is what speaks to, you know, women's military history month, right? Like we have these amazing women who otherwise may, their service may not have been known or recognized. I mean, there are just so many things that happened that took decades and decades. And to see that Aaron, what Aaron did in like a five month campaign and got a bill, that's like, Lord, I need her to just get down to the Capitol Hill and make other, some other stuff happen. Cause it is impressive. It's incredibly impressive. And I'm really proud of her. I know her grandmother or her great grandmother is as well. Right. Cause we fight battles on different, uh, in different venues of war. So her, uh, her, her grandmother flew and her, then the granddaughter is carrying on that tradition. And I'm a big fan of, of representing veterans uh, of all demographics who are just regular uh, or not, not recognize, not the big headline stuff, like killed a million people amazing thank you for that but also like just the guys that are you know they cooked and now they're here and you know and they're trying real hard to be an actor it's, i'm localizing that but it's uh those stories are important to me and uh i, yeah. I try to use uh, our post level uh meeting communications to do that just 
everyday people. That's so, really, if I could interject, yeah, that's really the experience of a lot of women from World War II. They did their jobs. They were asked to do all of these things. They made sacrifices. And a lot of them did not get any of that recognition because of the way society viewed women's roles. And, you know, as we've moved in the 21st century, some roles have changed. There are still challenges, but I think it's important to recognize that. And we've, we've come a long way, but there's still work to do. And Erin is, you know, of course, proof of that. She's doing the work. She's doing the work, putting it in. She's doing the work. All right. Rapid fire. Oh, oh. what happened to this side? Hold on. Pew, 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 pew. Oh, poor Ashley. It's, it's so sad. I really can't feel my thumb or my index finger. It's and I'm not going to lie. When I see people snowboarding, I chuckle. When I see them fall, I send video clips to you. He does. He really does. <laughs> it's not fun. All right. It's we are ready for, we are ready for <laughs> rapid fire. The first one is Marine reservist and nurse, two different people, charged with fake vaccine card scams for military.com. A Marine Marine Corps reservist who was charged in last year's riot at the U.S. Capitol also schemed with a nurse to steal, forge, and sell hundreds of fake coronavirus vaccination cards and destroy vaccine doses to fake inoculations, federal authorities said Thursday. Don't have to say much more about this. Uh, not a good person or people. Not of not of good character. This, this We kind of are on the same thing. Yeah, this person is, is 26 years old and will not be released on anything less than a $250,000 bond. And he was released. It, oh, he was released. Excuse me. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Home detention with an ankle bracelet after a court appearance. Jesus. And then the nurse was released on a thousand dollar bond. hundred like thousand bond. Excuse me. What the I mean, heck? just look, just look <laughs> at it. I mean, first, <sighs> first of all, the in, insurrection, whatever you want to call it. It happened in January, then comes about and fakes vaccination cards and then destroying actual doses. Wow. That's a trifecta. Like, That's a trifecta of wow. You're an extra crappy person. I just need people to know that. that That's our hot just, take today. That was a hot take. Crappy person. Crappy person. <laughs> Are we ready for pew, pew, rapid fire number two? VA proposes, this is a good one, VA proposes changing disability ratings for mental health and other conditions. Um, the Department of Veteran Affairs is considering changing, is considering changes to its disability rating systems for some conditions to bring it in line with modern medicine, the agency mm -hmm. announced. The, these changes were posted to the Federal Register on Tuesday, which is uh, a big step. They focus on ratings for respiratory conditions as well as mental health and ear, nose, and throat disorders. In some cases, such as with mental health, asthma, and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, the changes would lessen the requirements that veterans need to meet to receive a 100% rating. If you go down, and then I'm going to go down to, we're really focusing on the mental health part of this today, because it's uh, right now the minimum is uh, the minimum, the minimum rating is 0%. Right now, they're going to change that to a minimum rating would be 10%. And, uh, and, it, the, the justification is that it's really tough to get 100% for mental health. And what they're saying now is, this is a quote from McDonough, the, the VA secretary, holding down a job doesn't prevent veterans from being 
rated for physical health condition, so it shouldn't prevent them from being rated at 100% for a mental health condition. The proposed rule will right that wrong and ensure veterans don't have to choose between a job and the benefits they deserve. Bravo, sir. Bravo. Like, as a, a 70% Service Connect, you know, veteran, bravo. Like, I, I've, like, it's interesting because these, these ratings, and a lot of people don't realize that this system was first developed in 1945. So, you know, there were some instances where, like, you know, people would get higher ratings where now we have modern, like, you know, modern medicine has gifted us the CPAP machine, right? Like, there, there are modern modalities that have made certain conditions like easier, right? And then also when we look at the mental health status, right? Like we, I think in the past like decade plus have put a lot of weight and awareness and research into mental health. Like it is something that is permeating through our, our society, not just in the military, but it affects everyone. So the fact that they are now, you know, recognizing that, you know, if a physical limitation you know, could, you know, inhibit yeah. you from having a job, then, you know, mental health can definitely inhibit you from having a job too. Like, you know, invisible wounds, like it's real. And I'm really excited that this is happening. And, um, well, this is great. This show is just chock full of, uh, things that Ash- Ashley's the passion of Ashley. That's what we're going to call pa- it. Yeah. Episode. We're going to call it the passion of Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's brilliant. Cause brilliant, here we go I with say. The- here we go with rapid fire. Pew, pew, pew. That's three. Rapid fire Yay. three. This one you're going to like because it's something near and dear to at least another member of your household. Uh, and also I'm going to preface with a little foreshadowing of marketing. Ooh. This is this story is Call of Duty can make you a better sailor or marine according, according to science. Not for science, Ashley. According science. to science. Uh, and in a month from now, you're going to need to tune in because we have a special guest. I don't know. Can we say your name? Let's move on. Any, the story is anyone who's- I can just see your brain working from watching the, the, the video. Wow. Really, yeah. really watch the, the hamster spin the wheel there. Woo. Yeah. So let's do this rapid Stopped, fire. It started. It went in reverse for a minute. Okay. Go on. I'm sorry. Proceed. <laughs> Proceed, sir. Proceed with the call of duty. Wow. His duty calls. Proceed. <laughs> it's like I inhale and she has to repeat it one more the time. The science. <laughs> All things. All right. So the story is Call of Duty can make you a better sailor or marine, although we know for one person it's a soldier, according to science. Anyone who is in a position where they would benefit from greater than normal cognitive control, top-down attention, peripheral vision processing, would benefit from playing action games, which are primarily first and third person shooter games. That was said by Dr. C. Sean Green, a psychology professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, whose work studying the effect of video games on cognitive performance was supported by the Office of Naval Research. He's saying 10 hours of video games can change the structure and organization of a person's brain. In the past few years, we've gathered data through research that backs that up. The data will eventually be applied for training to enhance Warfighter performance. I feel like your mind just got blown there. You're like, woo. Yeah. I mean, I'm not shocked that it would definitely kind of rewire your brain a little bit. I mean, from like your reaction to just 
sending the stimuli down to just, you know, handling the remote control to like observing, to having to change directions. Um, I don't see why it wouldn't affect kind of the, the thought processes and patterns that we, you know, just would normally do from, from walking to riding a bike, right? Like sometimes those things just become like second nature. So it doesn't surprise me that again, like if this is going to be more virtual and more hands-on kind of training for surgeons and pilots, as um, the Navy press release indicated, like this is a huge set of individuals that from those involved in combat to people like surgeons or pilots, like I don't see why it wouldn't be helpful as a training tool. There you so, go. There we and go. Sure, have you noticed your husband being a better soldier? Because he plays a lot of video games. Maybe. Wow, he's gonna hear that. I anyway. know, I know. I love you. Love you. <laughs> no, no, Rob's great. I'm really proud of him. He's been uh he's just recently switched positions and now he's taking care of soldiers as a as a training NCO. I'm really proud of him. He's gonna do really he's gonna change lives. Like he's gonna really make stuff happen. Oh, the waterworks. See, you didn't even know that about your best friend. You didn't even know. You no, didn't even know. We talk about dude things. Who won the game? Good team. Er. Do you even play video games? I don't huh? want to hear it. No. Mm -mm. No, no, no. Mm -mm. I was talking sports for a second. But with that, I think the Passion of Ashley episode has sadly has to come to an end. Aww. We hope you enjoyed this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Tango Alpha Lima experience. And just so you know, to remind you, we have over 100 episodes that you can listen to if you miss us too much before next week. You can always get your fill at the legion.org slash Tango Alpha Lima website. Oh, yes, yes. So don't forget to subscribe to the Tango Alpha Lima podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume your podcast. Please leave us a review and give us a big old five-star rating so the world knows how much you love us. So much love. And if you have a guest recommendation, go to legion.org backslash Tango Alpha Lima and click on the suggest a guest link. Say that three times fast. Suggest a guest, suggest a guest, suggest a guest. And with that being said, Jeff. All right, with that, you. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Rip that Band-Aid up, and I declare season three, episode 94. Mission complete.